praying for Andrew McKay and his family. Uh, his father is having some health issues and they need a lot of prayer. So uh, be praying, reach out to them, love on them. Um, I didn't get to see him last week. Actually, I didn't get to see Andrew else on Monday. But um, be praying for him. His, his father's going through some medical issues that, that we definitely be praying about for all of us. All right. We are on our last message in Matthew this morning. September 2nd, 2018 was our first message in Matthew. So it's been almost three years uh, to work through these 28 chapters. Matthew telling his story of Jesus' life, the gospel according to Matthew and Matthew's goal. We've said over and over and over again, and we'll say again today, was to tell his predominantly Jewish audience that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the King of Israel. Um, so today, we're going to see the finale. This is not a, so sometimes you get to the end of a show and it's a letdown. This is not a letdown. This is a, and this is a flourish. Today we're going to finish with a flourish. But, but I want to start with an illustration. You've probably seen the memes, and we're going to look at a couple of them. Um, or you might have even experienced this in your own life. You give somebody one job. You had one job, right? Um, I, I recently, we were planning my mother's 70th birthday party. I shouldn't tell her age on her anyway. Um, and my sister, in a, in a group chat thing, said we need to get some candles. I said, I'll get the candles. And so birthday, celebration day, they bring this beautiful cake in. And my sister brought in, and she's like, you got the candles? I was like, uh, she's like, are you kidding me? I mean, she's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, I seriously forgot. And what did she say to me? You had one job. One. <clears throat> my mom's like, I think I've got a three and a two over there. I'm like, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> you had one job. And what happens when you have one job and you don't do it? There you go. <laughs> one job. I like this one. Four? Four ninety four. Okay, see if you can spot this one. <laughs> Today, we are going to see that 
as New Testament followers of Jesus Christ, you've got one job. Amen. One. If you would please stand as we read. I get, I get chills up here. I'm emotional about finishing Matthew, y'all. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. And just the passage itself is worth getting excited about. The very words of God. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the ages. Pray. Father, your plan is perfect. And you have given us one job. I pray today, God, that we would be charged, encouraged, convicted, helped, given hope as we seek to fulfill this one command that you give us. Help us to see Jesus in all of his glory. And may we be excited to follow him and work with him on this one job. Help us, Holy Word, and we ask it in Jesus' name. You may be seated. So here we are at the end of this book, and we have followed Jesus' path in his earthly ministry from the very first message was his ancestry. And we saw that Matthew traced his ancestry back to David and Abraham uh, to show that he was. Uh, the chosen seed, the promised one, and that he is a king, the king of Israel, the one who will eternally occupy the throne of David at the place of honor and glory at the right hand of God. Um, and all through, there's been times when maybe he hasn't really looked like a king, and some things were confusing, and what's going on, and he stands up and he stills the waves and the storm, and they worship him like, whoa, who is this guy? that even the winds and the sea obey him. And then he goes and he dies. And he gets buried. The king isn't supposed to die. The king is supposed to reign forever on David's throne. And he dies and they bury him. And they go away and they're real sad. And a couple days later, on the third day, some ladies come and, hey, wait a minute, you're seeing Jesus. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. And then some of the ladies see him, and they're like, whoa, and they worship him. He's like, no, go tell my brothers to meet me in the And today we're going to see the king in all of his glory. This great last passage. We'll start in verse 16, because that's the first one, right? Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Okay, so two weeks ago, um, the last time I was here speaking, um, in the message on the resurrection, we saw that Jesus was telling the women at the tomb who saw him first, and that was 2810. Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there 
they will see me. Now, we know from some of the other gospel accounts that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples there in Jerusalem. And it's amazing to me, Matthew puts forth zero effort to prove that Jesus was resurrected. He's not saying, hey, well, there, there was this and that. It's like some ladies see him. And he tells them, tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee. And that's the only part of the resurrection that he really tells about. You know, some of the Mark, Luke, John, they give us more details. And that's, that's great. That's wonderful. And I'm thankful for it. Matthew's like, yeah, he, he, he came back to life. Some ladies saw him. And they told the disciples to go meet Jesus in Galilee. There's no effort to prove the resurrection. It was just a foregone conclusion. In Matthew's mind. It was, like, it was not like, I'm going to have to prove this to people. It's like, here's the deal. These ladies saw him, and this is what he said to them. Um, but we do know that Jesus did show himself there in Jerusalem uh, right after the resurrection. The day of the resurrection, he pops up in the middle of a the room. They're in a locked room, and he pops up. Hey, yeah, hey guys, what's up? Um, what? Thomas wasn't there, and then later... Thomas said, they're like, we saw him, he was resurrected. Thomas like, unless I put my hands in the wounds, I'll never believe. Jesus pops up, hey y'all. Thomas like, my Lord, my God. Okay? So all that happened in Jerusalem. Okay? So we know that he did show himself alive in Jerusalem, resurrection day, and some following there. And we know that at least the eleven and some of the women did see Jesus alive the day of his resurrection and some days following there in Jerusalem. But regardless of who saw him when, we find ourselves here in Matthew 28, 16, back in Galilee. Okay? This has just absolutely mystified me as I'm studying this. I don't know if y'all can see that or not. Down there in the very bottom of the south is Jerusalem and Emmaus and Bethany. Okay? There's little flags there. I wish I could have made that bigger, but to get the whole map in there, I couldn't. So there in the south, that, that's where the, the crucifixion and the resurrection happened, and Jesus revealed himself there, resurrection day, shortly following, on the road to Emmaus, we see in Luke's gospel. Uh, that's the far left on the bottom. And so we know that he did show himself alive there in the south as they were finishing celebrating the Passover before they prepared to go back up to Galilee. And Jesus told them specifically, tell my disciples to meet me in Galilee. So that's way up north up there on the, on the sea, the Sea of Galilee. And that's where we find ourselves today. Okay? And I always thought that all this happened in one place. Well, it did. There's a lot going on here. And there's a lot of time references here. Okay? That we need to understand. Because we're back in Galilee today. So this would be after all the events of the resurrection there in Jerusalem, and then it's a four to six day trip from Jerusalem up to Galilee. Okay? So, some days after the Passover, and at least four to six day trip back to Galilee, and we know from Acts 1, when Jesus does ascend, and by the way, the Great Commission is not at the ascension. Okay? This is not the same event. This is not Jesus going up into heaven. We'll talk about that later. But the ascension was 40 days after his resurrection. And that took place in Jerusalem. Let's go back to Acts 1, 3 through 5. He presented himself alive to them, his disciples, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. This is right near the end before he ascends. 
but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, when did that happen? Pentecost. Okay? So they were, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit at the festival of Pentecost. So they, before Acts 1, they had gone back up to Galilee, which is where we are today. And then after today, they had gone back down to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of um, Pentecost, which is where they'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, so get that straight. There had to be another trip down to Jerusalem in that 40-day period. So we have the Passover and the days after, after the resurrection. We've got a four- to six-day journey back up to Galilee where what's happening today happens. And then before Jesus ascends, there's at least another four- to six-day trip back down to Jerusalem and then his ascension. Okay? So resurrection, some events after it, a return trip to Galilee, what we see in Matthew 28, 16 today, then before his ascension, another week or so trip, and then the ascension. So why am I saying all this? You're like, I don't know what you're saying. I don't make any sense at all. Stay with me. I'm trying to place our verse today, our passage today, time-wise. Okay? <clears throat> and it has to be at least a couple of weeks or so after the resurrection. And at least a week before his ascension. Okay? So we're closing this 40-day gap and we're zeroing in. It's somewhere in between there. Um, so it's in a two-week time period in between the resurrection and the ascension. Because you've got bookends, trips, where they go up to Galilee and back down. Uh, so today, here in Galilee, we're kind of in the middle of that 40-day period from his resurrection to his ascension. And again, we are in Galilee. I've got rid of that. We're in Galilee. We're up north. We're not in Jerusalem. So, at this time, all the eleven have seen him alive after his crucifixion, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Some of the women have definitely seen him alive. We saw that. And those women were also told by the angels that Jesus was going before them to Galilee. So they would have been in, on, in our passage today too. Okay, Who is here? When was it? Those are the questions that we're trying to ask. So who's here? At least the 11 and some of the women. We know that. Okay? But most people think that this is the event that Paul of in 1 Corinthians 3... Uh, 15, 3 through 6. For I delivered to you as of first importance, Paul said, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Okay? Paul speaks of a time when Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. And this event, Matthew 28, 16, in Galilee, could very well have been this event. I just never put these pieces together. I never took these chain links and put them together. So we know from the verse itself, there in Matthew 28, 16, let me go back to that, we know that at least the 11 were there. Okay? That's from the verse directly. Um, they're in Galilee, uh, and they, and possibly the greater crowd of 500 or so, which that, that's where I'm parked right now. I believe that's, this is that event. So we've got 500 plus people on a mountain that Jesus had told them to come to. And Matthew doesn't tell us what mountain that was, so we're not going to speculate which one. It doesn't matter because he didn't tell us which one it was. 
It was a mountain in Galilee where Jesus told them to meet him. He said, meet me here, and they did. And again, this was at least a couple of weeks after his resurrection and a couple of weeks before his ascension, roughly. And Jesus had popped up here and there, walking into locked rooms. He walked with them to Emmaus. He came and went as he pleased. But this meeting was dictated by Jesus. Put this in your phone, he said. He didn't say that have phones. Mark the date. Mark the place. Be there or be square. He had been pointing to it since the morning of his resurrection. Jesus had. So something big is going on here. And how do these people respond to him? Those who had seen him, and I would say if there are 500 plus people there, there were probably some people in this crowd who had not seen the resurrected Christ. Who had only heard from others that they had seen him. Well, we're going to meet him up on this mountain. He said to come and he'd meet us there. And so this crowd, and again, that, that, I really think for the first time in my life, I really believe this is that event. So how do they respond? Verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Well, I guess that just makes sense, right? This verse makes me think that this meeting was the full 500 people since the disciples had all seen Jesus by this point, even Thomas. Uh, my Lord and my God, after seeing Jesus, after all the others had before him. When this crowd of people, and again, have you ever been in a crowd of 500 people? That's a lot of people, Okay. And when they saw the risen Christ, there on the mountain, there was both worship and doubt. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. The women there in the garden outside the tomb had fell at his feet and worshipped him on resurrection morning. And some here on the mountain, recognizing their Lord, who had been crucified and dead, now alive, they worshipped. The Greek word for worship is proskuneo. And it means to kneel or prostrate oneself to do homage or to make obeisance, whether in order to express respect or to make supplication. When they saw him, they went to the ground. Basically what it means. And who deserves worship? Ask a Jew and they'll tell you God alone. Their worship was a bold proclamation of the godness of the resurrected Jesus. And that's important. Why was Matthew writing this gospel? To show his predominantly Jewish readers that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, their king, which is really saying that he's God in the flesh, the son of man, he had called himself over and over and over again, the prophesied one that we've seen so many times from Daniel 7's vision of the ancient of days. And I can't help but go back there. We've visited this passage, I don't know, eight or ten times in our journey through Matthew. I saw in the night visions, Daniel said, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Now watch this. And to him, this one like a son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so here, as Jesus stands on this mountain and they're worshiping him, they are proclaiming, you are him. You're God. You're our king. And we worship you. And there's no mention or detail of Jesus saying, oh no guys, don't do that. He doesn't refuse their worship. Okay? 
They saw the Messiah, the God-man, one like the Son of Man, Jesus, God in the flesh, and when they saw him, they worshipped, and it was appropriate. Well, some of them did anyway, because Matthew follows that clause up, that there was worship, with these last three words, but some doubted it. Now again, this is another reason I think this was a pretty good-sized crowd, like the 500 that Paul mentioned. Um, and I, I, I've read this so many times in my life and thought that it was some of the disciples or the apostles who were doubting. And I just don't think it was. I think it was people who were not sure. I do think uh, that, that the disciples, the apostles at this point, are pretty set with who Jesus is at this point. They need him on this mountain, right? He said to be there. It would make sense that if this is 500-ish people, some would not have seen the resurrected Christ and they would have doubts here. Even seeing him in this instance, is this a trick? Were those soldiers right who said that the disciples stole his body? Are they just messing with us? Are they trying to manipulate us? Are they trying to take our money? Are they trying to give us false hope so that we'll follow them? I mean, think about it. We're at least a couple of weeks after the death and burial of Jesus. And this whole resurrection deal was still a pretty novel idea, right? I mean, we talk about it like it's secondhand and no way out of the resurrection. But they're going, but what? The res of what? He did what? Where is he? Well, we don't know where he is. We've seen him. Where did you see him? In our, we were locked in a room. How did he show up? Did you let him in? No, he just didn't show up. And we, but we saw him and we talked to him. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Makes sense. So they're doubting, they're wondering, what's going on here? Is that him? What am I seeing here? Is that Jesus? And maybe they, maybe like me, they can't see real well. They're going, is that him? You think he'd look pretty beat up. I mean, I saw him on the cross. He looked bad. And people have seen him up close already, and they still didn't know who he was, right? They walked with him, he talked with them. So if this is a big crowd, and some people are far off, and Jesus is still kind of in incognito mode, it would make a whole lot of sense that some doubted. Anybody here still have doubts? Yes, sir. But some doubted. So I can hold that against them. But Jesus is about to dispel all doubt in one of the most sweeping, amazing, breathtaking statements ever made in all of history. Maybe the single most sweeping, amazing, breathtaking statement ever made in all history. You ready? You ready? You've heard it a million times, but are you ready? And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now we read it, we've heard it a thousand times, and our fathers wrote the book about it, we kind of based our mission statement on, on, on what that book was talking about, which is this passage, literally. So we hear it all the time, right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So this starts, and Jesus came, indeed, for real. Here they are on this mountain, some worshiping, some doubting, and undoubtedly some doing both. Doubtfully worshiping, worshiping doubtfully. Story of my life. Maybe that's my autobiography title. <laughs> you can go. Thank you very much. Parallel <laughs> paths or something. And Jesus came. Here is Jesus. And again, okay, there's Jesus. Here's Jesus. And they're off that light. 
Here is the resurrected Lord of life and master of the universe. He makes his way to them. He came to them. And he not only comes, he has something to say. The living, breathing, reigning, ruling Lord of everything talks to them. The very human Jesus talks to them. He speaks to them. And this is not thunder up in heaven somewhere. This is not fire and smoke. This is a person talking to people. Using words. And we take that for granted. But this is monumental. This is huge. You're like, you're just emotional. Maybe. What does he say? He speaks to them. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And again, what a sentence. What a proclamation. What a truth. Let's bathe ourselves in it here this morning. First, that word, all. Oh, somebody change my slide. That's not my Shows up and says, Y'all should be afraid of me. 
in a glorified body Christ who was saying, I get to do what I want when I want, however I want, with whomever I want. And though, so you should listen to me. Same Jesus, for sure. But this is not the Jesus hanging on a cross. This is not the Jesus laying in a tomb dead. This is not little baby Jesus meek and mild. Mammy, pammy, mealy mouth, sissy Jesus. This is not that Jesus. In his birth and life as a fully God and fully human being, prior to his death and burial, Jesus had condescended. He had lowered himself, being both God and man, but it looked like as he gave up certain divine privileges and felt hunger and got tired and was even delivered up to be crucified, appearing helpless to do anything about it, although that was not exactly true. That was actually exactly not true. But here on this mountain in Galilee, now risen and in a glorified body, still truly God and truly man, Jesus has been given ultimate all authority. All Free to do what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, with what he wants, to whomever he wants. Same Jesus, but now in a completely different situation. Now in a new place for all to see. Not just the spirits that were subject to him before he came to earth. He has all authority. Jesus has all, all, all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth. That's everywhere. you got two places in the universe. you got heaven and you got earth. That's it. And in heaven and on earth, Jesus Christ has all authority. It was given to him. Now, wait a second. Who gave it to him? Did he beat the devil and the devil handed it over? No. No, 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 no. His Father, God the Father, the Father gave all authority to the Son. One God, three persons operating in perfect unison with perfect examples of submission within the Godhead, with the Son submitting to the Father and the Spirit submitting to the Son. Three parts of a God. One God, three persons. They are all fully God. One God, three persons. And since the Son submitted to the will of the Father, since He humbled Himself, the Father gives Him all authority. Go to Philippians 2, 5-11. through My slide, slipper, chipper thing here's not working. Have this mind... Among yourselves, Paul says to the Philippians, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, all authority, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Paul throws in just for emphasis. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All authority in heaven and on earth because he humbled himself. Since he humbled himself, God exalted him and gave him all authority. Now he had all authority before he came to earth, God the Son existing pre-eternally within the Godhead in perfect unison and perfect community and perfect submission within the Godhead and the devils knew it, right? 
you come to torment us before our time? They asked Jesus a couple of times in Matthew. Jesus said, go to the pigs, get <laughs> They knew who he was. And here he is exerting to the human eyes in front of him who he is now. And he says to them, and again, I don't know what their, I don't know if their brains could handle what he was saying. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So what? Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore <laughs> and do what? Go therefore <clears throat> and feed and clothe. Go therefore and proclaim justice. Go therefore and be political. Go therefore and fix all the bad things in the world. Go therefore and heal people. Go therefore, no. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, since that's true, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at the first part of verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, again, we've heard this a blue million times. And some of you are sitting here right now going, I've heard this before. But let's piece this together. Okay, so Jesus, the God-man, has all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, what would you expect him to do with it? Maybe get some revenge on those jokers who just crucified him a couple of weeks ago? Unleash some, some, some lightning or another major earthquake or something? I have all authority, so I'm going to use my might to make things right. And that's exactly what he does, but not in a way that makes sense to us. At least not at first, I guess. He receives all authority, then immediately... And don't miss this. He commands his disciples to make disciples. What? Now, if I just get a big promotion at work, I'm not going to go to my underlings and say, okay, guys, I've got dominion over y'all now. I've got authority over you. So go turn people into people like you. What? Doesn't make any sense. I got power. I got authority. What do you want me to do, Lord? I want you to make disciples. You got one job. Make disciples. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so therefore, make disciples. And again, just taking a face value, it sounds a little ludicrous if you ask me. I have all authority, so you all go make disciples. It's kind of hard to follow this logic if you just stop there. Jesus uses his authority to send out his men. He's got the right and the might to tell them what to do, and so he does tell them what to do, and what he tells them to do is go make disciples. Priority one, your one job, make disciples. But watch this. That word authority that we talked about back in verse 18, exousia in the Greek. Now, E-X-O-U-S-I-A, exousia. What's the first two letters of that word? I gave them to you, literally. 
EX. Anybody remember Romans? Anybody remember Asian Station? Back in Romans, we make several pit stops at Asian Station when we went through Romans. One of the Asians in Asian Station back in Romans was the word expiation. Exit. Expiation was the process of God taking our sins away from us. Ex, ex, exit, to leave, to go away, to get out. Now here, at the end of Matthew, we see exousia. And we saw that it's translated as authority, and that's right, but it's authority, listen, 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 that flows out from. Ex, exit. The authority exits the one who has it, namely Jesus, and it's flowing is not a nondescript just flowing to be flowing. It flows out from Jesus and into his people. Into his disciples. And so, all authority is given to me and I give it to you for the purpose of making disciples of all nations. Oh, church, we have to get this. All authority is given to Jesus. It flows to him, through him, out from him, to his people, so they can make disciples. Matheteo. Teuo, actually. I forgot who. Is, is to make disciples. It means to initiate or instruct a disciple in the ways or teachings of a specific teacher or leader. All authority has been given to me, so I give to you that authority so that you can turn people into disciples. These disciples there on the mountainside had followed him, learned from him, watched him, listened to him, and now he's telling them to make of others what has been made of them. Jesus has purposefully for three plus years, poured himself into these people. And he looks at those people and says, now you go do the same thing with other people. MacArthur again points out that here is a believing learner or a learning believer. That's probably better all I love that. Learning believer, believing learner. All authority is mine. Therefore, Jesus says, turn people into believing learners. Turn people into learning believers. And it has to be a synthesis of these two dynamics, both believing and learning. On the authority of the one who has all authority, do this. And how is it to happen? Well, the command to make disciples is explained by three participles. And don't miss that. There's one command in this passage. And it's make disciples. Going, baptizing, and teaching are not commands. They're participles that explain how you carry out the one command. Poor old Keith Green, God rest his soul. Jesus commands us to go. No, he doesn't. He tells us that we will be going. And as we're going, we're supposed to make disciples. Going is assumed. As you are going is the literal wording. If you are alive, you are going. You are conducting your way through your life. You are going. And as you are going, as you're making your way through your life, you are to be focused on, committed to, given to turning other people into disciples of Jesus. As you're going. Baptizing is not a command. It's a way to fulfill the command to make disciples. 
Baptizing means to immerse in water as a public proclamation of an interchange. Once you get into the book of Acts, people who are born again who are converted, and they'd immediately be baptized. Why? It was a public display and profession of what had happened in their lives. That's why we tell people who are believers, new believers, your first act of obedience is to be baptized. It's a public proclamation of what has happened on the inside of you. You've been born again. Tell everybody. Show everybody. Well, I can just tell them, right? No, show them. Show them by getting in the tub and going into the water. Well, that's a weird thing to do. I didn't, I didn't prescribe it. It is a little weird. Why, 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 why are you done to me again? It's a picture. It's a beautiful picture. We're not here to talk about baptizing, by the way. But baptizing is part of the way that we make disciples. As we're going, we baptize them. So that they can proclaim to the world that something has happened to them. It's the first act of obedience for the newly born followers of Jesus. And Matthew in his gospel said that this baptism is to be, quote, and this is particular, on purpose, listen, they are to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now again, blatant Trinitarianism here. When you baptize these new believers, let them and everyone watching know that there is one God in three persons. The name, one name, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's called a polysynthodon. P-O-L-Y-S-Y-N-D-E-T-O-N. Polysynthodon. The use of the ands deliberately in the list of the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is purposeful to make a solemn point as a matter of major emphasis. One name, three persons. We don't baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For emphasis, we baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. to make a solid point of major emphasis. Baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. One, three persons. And that bends our minds to show up. But the good news is that this discipleship is to be accomplished also how? Not just going and baptizing, but by teaching. Teaching what? Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. For over three and a half years, three plus years, we'll say, he has poured himself into these people, teaching, healing, delivering, serving, giving, sharing, loving, reprimanding, blessing, correcting, and on and on and on and on and on. And now he tells his followers to do the same for others, that which was done to and for them. Because here's the deal, and we don't see this in Matthew, but Jesus is going away. He's not hanging out. And he's only one person anyway, right? But he just multiplied himself 500 times. Initial explosion. What happens on the day of Pentecost? 3,000 people believe. And the number, God adds to the number daily. And then the number of disciples multiplies. Until ultimately what happens is the churches start to multiply. So one little Jesus and one little body. And one little spot in the earth, the sins, the Holy Spirit comes and inhabits the believers, and they just start. 
take what I've given you and teach them all that I have commanded you so that you can help turn them into disciples, believing learners, learning believers. Teach these believing learners all that I've commanded you. Teach them what it means to follow me by being obedient to the commands. Not options. It's not a smorgasbord. You can pick what you want out of what Jesus said. These are commands. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. I've commanded you. I've taught you. Now share those things with these people that you're turning into believing learners. And teach it to all of them. And teach all of it to all of them. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Anybody feel adequate for that? Anybody know everything Jesus taught and commanded? It's all written down for us that we need. How many of you know it all? I don't. I've read it all. I don't retain it all. I definitely don't do it all. But Jesus said, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Well, God, I don't know if I can do that. Well, good news. Ends the gospel The second half of verse 20. Which I'm again. And behold, if we go to the and behold slide. Man. I yelled, but Bob make fun of me. <laughs> Woo! He helped it. Teach them. As you're going, baptize them. Teach them to observe all that I commanded you. God, I don't know that I can remember all that. I don't know that I can do all that. And behold, I am with you always. Even to the end. It's not in there. It's in one version. It's not in there. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God, I can't do this. Because I did, Jesus says, and I can, even through We know Matthew loves the word behold, right? Man, how many times have we talked about this through Matthew? And behold, stop, think about it, pay attention to this. This is of utmost importance, and it's so important that he ends his gospel with it. And behold, the I am is with us always. To the end of the age. He's going away. And again, we don't see that in Matthew. We'll see it in Acts. We see it in other Gospels where he ascends. I love it in Acts. Dudes are looking up at the angel. What, men of Galilee, why, why are you staying looking up in the sky? This same Jesus who just left this way is going to return in the same way that he just left. But you got something you should be doing. And what did, he tell, what did the angel tell him? They remembered, oh, we're supposed to go into Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Jesus leaves, but he says, I'm with you always. How does that work? Is there a real Jesus sitting on a real throne in heaven somewhere? You bet there is. Your faith is tied to that. So how is he with us? He is with us, one God, three persons, in the person of the Holy Spirit, whom He has sent to live in our lives and live out through our lives. You are inadequate. You are not enough. And He is enough. And He promised, I am with you 
always to the end of the age. End of the age is when he comes back and sets up the kingdom on the earth. In a, on a visible throne, reigning and ruling over all of creation, on earth, with man. So he says, I'm with you until I come back to be with you. What? What, what, do, you mean? what do you mean? I'm always going to be with you. I'm going to send, Jesus says, John 14, John 16, another father will send another helper. And listen, church, how do we make disciples? How do we conduct and do the one job that we've been given? We do it in the power of the Holy Spirit or it does not get done. You can't do it. He did do it. He can do it. And He will do it through you. Our hope is in all the authority that He has that flows out from His being into us through the Holy Spirit flowing out through us into other people. And it flows into their lives and it flows out of their lives into other people. And the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others likewise. And lo, I'm with you. Until eternity comes and I set up my throne here and you're faithfully multiplying disciples and churches until I come. That's the goal. Now let me ask you this question. Can Jesus fail? Can I fail? Will there be disciples being made until Jesus returns? Absolutely there will. Why? Because he's with us. Always to the end of the age. You say, so I just need to sit back and let him do it? No, no, no. We co-operate with Christ. And we'll get to that in a minute. But the good news is we do it in his power, not our own. Because, behold, stop, pay attention, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that's how Matthew ends. That's a flourish. You ever get to the end of a firework show? Your chest is thumping. Yes, this is awesome. This is awesome. Matthew ends with, I am with you always to the end of the age. The king has established his kingdom. Us. 
or persecute us or hurt us. And you know what? They're right sometimes. So does that mean the concept of authority is wrong or bad? Absolutely not. We as Christians have to understand that we operate under authority and that all, all, all authority has been given to Jesus Christ. If there are those out there or in here who are abusing the authority that has been given to them, they will answer to God one day for how they handle that authority. Right and might. Younger folks, here's a great, great, great practice for you. Here's a great habit for you to get into. Everywhere you go, ask yourself this question. Who's in authority here? Not so that you can dislike them or distrust them, but so that you can obey them and rest in the care that they are there to give you. What are you talking about? If you go to... The Lord's house, Chick-fil-A, right? That's the Lord's house. Ask yourself, who's in authority here? What's well, the, the manager on duty who's in authority there? If you hop up on the table and start dancing, I don't suggest it, by the way, they're going to say, you can't do that. Well, who says? I say, I'm in authority here. And they lay out the ground rules that, so that you know how you should and could operate in that facility. When you go to Walmart, believe it or not, there are managers on duty. And ask yourself, who's in authority here? Because if you keep the concept of authority right here and right here, you're going to do great things in life because ultimately all authority comes from Christ himself. Authority is a good thing. With no authority, might makes right, and you don't want that. Go to some of these chaotic countries where there's hostile takeovers, and you see... Might making right is a bad thing. Jesus says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So we love authority. Love it. And we wield it well too. Control authority. Daniel 7 is fulfilled. The kingdom has been handed over to Jesus. And his throne is established for all eternity. It's an everlasting dominion. He has all authority, and we should operate in the concept and truth of authority as good, spirit-filled, Bible-believing Christians. So that's control. Second is command. What is the one command in the Great Commission? You haven't said the Great Commission yet. What's the one command? You've got one job to do. Make disciples. And again, you might have thought that Jesus' charge would be to heal or feed or clothe or help or bless or encourage. And it is kind of, but it's wrapped up in the phrase, which is really one Greek word, make disciples. It's the only command in the whole passage. Now let me ask you a question. What are you doing to make disciples? I'm not going to beat you up with it. First thing you've got to do to make disciples is be a disciple. You've got to be a learning believer and a believing learner so that you can receive the things that are taught to you so that you can pass those on to other people. That's, that's primary. Like, well, I don't want to learn. Well, then you're not operating in authority and you're walking in sin. And God judges sinners who haven't trusted in the authority of Christ. He's coming back as a judge and as a king. 
What are you doing then to make disciples? Those of you who have been taught and who are being taught, you should be teaching others. As you're going, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. What are you doing to make disciples? You've got one job. And I'm not mad. I'm just, oh, we've got to get a hold of this. It's not going to just happen. You have got to cooperate with the Spirit of God, knowing where He's moving, how He's moving, who He's moving in, and either have them pour their life into you, or you pour your life into them. Husbands, fathers, how are you doing with your wife and with your kids? Those are your primary disciples. Your primary focus. Well, my wife knows more than me. Teacher anyway, leader anyway, operate in the authority that God's given you in your role as a husband and as a father to trust that God can work in and through you, even if it is, let her read it out loud, that's fine. But lead, husbands, fathers, wives, mothers, submitting to your husband as the church submits to Christ and leading your children. There's nothing more godly or beautiful than a mother pouring her life into her children. That's biblical discipleship. As you are going, as you're changing diapers and cleaning up puke and all that good stuff, make disciples. You say, why do you want mothers cleaning up puke? Dad should do it too. <laughs> the only command that you have is to make disciples. And I would wholeheartedly encourage you to pick up Tally Heather Fox. There's Good, good practical ways to do that. It's the one command in all of this commission. What are you doing to make disciples? Lastly, commission is the third application point. Listen. The word commission, and Matthew doesn't call it the great commission. That's something that came after Matthew wrote his book. But here's the deal. We are on a mission with Christ. It is a co mission. And lo, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And what Jesus is doing right now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is turning people into disciples. That's what he's doing. And we get to be on mission with him to do that. His very presence with us. Matthew's gospel ends with Jesus on the earth with all authority. This is the culmination, the grand finale of Matthew. You know, it feels a little flat to me. It ain't. It's not flat. Jesus has a mission on the earth with all authority, and he commands us to be on it with him. All authority to me, flowing out through me, so you go. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so the disciples are like, oh, we setting up the kingdom. We see that in Acts. They're like, is it now that you want to set up the kingdom? Jesus says, it's not for you. No times or epochs. You just go and do what I told you to do. You work with me as you do that. And here's the deal. Jesus here in this last statement of Matthew announces his presence with us, which is the culmination of all things. Back in Genesis, there was a garden and God and man. And God said, Reign, rule, subdue, have dominion over everything. 
reign and rule with me. Be on mission with me. Man fell. Here at the end of Matthew, Jesus says, reign and rule with me. Be on mission with me. He's making all things right. Then we get to the Revelation. He says, behold, I'm making all things new. And what do we see at the end of Revelation? We see a garden. And we see God in the midst of the garden with man reigning and ruling together. And here in this great commission, in the already but not yet, all things have been made right. The king is in his proper place. The king has all authority and his disciples are on mission with him as he is with them even to the end of the age. Here with this commission, it's possible again. Sinners have been made right with God and now they're on mission with him to reign and to rule and to have dominion over King stands there and the curtain closes. And 2,000 years later, all authority still belongs to Jesus Christ. 2,000 years later, we're still on mission with him until he comes again. He's still with us until he comes to be with us forever again. You have one job. Glory in that! Glory in who Jesus is and what he did, as we saw in the Gospel of Matthew. Glory in the fact that all authority is his, and he's called you to be on mission with him to turn people into disciples. Until he comes again, and he is coming again. Steve talked about that with the table this morning, right? And until he does, he's with us, and you've got one child. To the praise of his glorious Father, we thank you so much for your word, for the gospel of Matthew, for this great commission. Jesus, we praise you and thank you that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. Therefore, we will go and we will make disciples as we're going. We will baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we will teach them to observe all that you have commanded us. And you will get the glory for it all. And for that, we praise and thank you. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us to operate in the truth of these wonderful, powerful, beautiful words that you've closed this gospel with. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your plan. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for that you are in control and we are in commission with you. Praise you and ask you to bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive the benediction? Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You're dismissed. Stay neat with us if you can.